Hello and welcome to this episode of The Testing Peers. Tonight I'm joined by all four of The Testing Peers. David. Hello. Russell. Hello. Chris. Ahoy. And myself, Simon. We are delighted to be sponsored by Saffron QA. Saffron QA are specialists in testing and recruitment and they provide a range of bespoke recruitment services to organisations across the UK. For further details about Saffron QA, please see the show notes or visit saffronqa.co.uk. Tonight, we are going to be talking about building communities of practice. I've been on holiday, which obviously is amazing. And I've been out and about just cycling around. And the one thing that cycling allows me to do is eat cake. So my question is around cake for you guys, because I find it's an important part of life. So my question to you is, if you could have any cake without worrying about the calories, because I know we worry about calories, what cake would you have? What time of day are we talking? Oh, does it change depending on the time of day? It does. Interesting. Then for you, Chris, lunchtime, late afternoon, and also evening. You've got three cake periods. Jaffa cake at lunchtime. It's a cake. It's gone through the courts. It's cake. Then I'd probably say like a lemon drizzle. Proper lemon drizzle. And then maybe like in the, later on in the evening, maybe like a chocolate fudge. For me, it's almost always a fruit cake and it's usually around traditional times of the year so christmas cake that's a good one for me this easter we had a seminal cake because of the marzipan as well that's always nice uh similar to the christmas cake i would also be partial there's a theme here about almonds i like a bakewell tart that's always nice and then a bit more healthy flapjack that's more debatable as a cake than a jaffa cake it's a tray bake. Well, you can you could claim that a bakewell tart isn't because it's a tart. But anyway, are we sticking to strictly cakes here, or are we allowed other sweet confectionery type stuff? Close to cake as possible. It will be arbitrated by Chris. By Chris of all of us to arbitrate it, really. I know that's why I picked Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, my cake-like snacks that I like, I would say brownies, particularly salted caramel brownies. I quite partial to a Krispy Kreme, especially the Biscoff biscuit ones. See, now that's a donut. That's definitely not a cake. Well, it's know, more it's, of a bread, cakey. isn't it? It's more of a bread than a cake. I but think. I would, but I would also say a, a nice piece of chocolate fudge cake warmed with a piece of ice cream on the side would, would, would suit them. How would you warm it? Would you, would you put it in the microwave or would you put it in the oven? How would you warm it? What's your I would microwave it. Microwave it. I've never got warm cakes. This is something I just don't What about get. like a sponge pudding? Mine probably most popular would be a chocolate eclair with lashings of cream. That's not cake. Ooh. It's a cream cake. He's found a way in with the words. It's more cake than donuts. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> Screw community practice. Let's get to the bottom of this cake stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's the first disagreement we've had. Anyway, eclairs, eclairs are good, yeah? And then after that, it'd be cheesecake. Yeah, good New York cheesecake is amazing. So what did you have after your cycle today? I had a brownie. So not a cake. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I also had some handmade chocolates and other things because I really spoke myself. But I was dreaming of cakes. I really wanted a chocolate eclair with cream, but I couldn't find any that were good enough because there seems to be a shortage of decent chocolate eclairs. So if any of our listeners know of any good mail-order chocolate eclairs with cream... <laughs> 
do let me know. Well, we're going to be celebrating some birthdays, some big birthdays later this year. Perhaps we need to know what cakes are important for those. Well, this was partly my secret plan. So now we know what yeah, it is. Secret plan. Yeah, yeah, good mm. one. Very good. It's not a secret anymore because I just let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, communities of practice. So I think between us, we've had a bit of experience building them. So I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about today. About how we'd go about building or some tips and tricks and ideas for building a community of practice. Should we start with defining what community practice means to us? good way of starting i've got lee rathbone's article on community practice just open just <laughs> who have thought he, he's got a little little intro that says community practice are groups of people that share a concern a set of problems or a passion about a topic and who deepen their knowledge and expertise in this area by interacting on an ongoing basis so can i be controversial no i'd say i'm not 100 certain i agree that wasn't his definition. He had lifted that from Tinterwebs. Not sure I agree with internet. Mainly around the one word practice. I guess what that means. And to me, a practice is different from community of interest. So it's a verb. It's a doing thing, right? Yeah. So it's something that you need to be wanting to be involved in doing, which I think is important. Now, I think it's ambiguous and I think it is used across both purposes but I think it's something to call out because I think there's a community of interest, which is just people interested in, say, testing or development or front-end engineering or anything else. And there's people of practice where I would normally consider that to be people that are involved in doing. It's not always the case, but I think it's good to be clear when you're setting these up so that people can get involved. And it's possibly good to be clear with the way you advertise if you want abroad, not just testers to be involved in your testing one. Then think about what you really want yeah. to call it community practice or not. I would suggest that in my experience, a community of interest can turn into a community of practice, though, because you've got people that are interested. You can then set some kind of, you know, once you've got over the initial mm. forming and norming of the community, you can then start to put, you know, OK, let's try and think of something that we can actually do to improve the practice in the organisation and get people all driving together towards that. But I agree, there is a difference. And I've always shied away when I've set them up. I've shied away from calling them communities of practice. I've usually gone with test chapter or or something of just the word community. So that it's just a, a network of people that are interested in what we do rather than calling it a community of practice. I think that's a much more valuable thing, a community versus interest practice or anything else. I think that sometimes people do have a an issue with the community of practice sort of label as as we've discussed in various other episodes of, of giving things labels but I think that it's the I, I agree with Russell it's the practice it's the actual doing of building testing within a company and it's that community feel where it's shared ownership so therefore it isn't just one person dictating what should happen it's a collective agreeing what should be done and I think that's the the difference again with the sort of interest groups you know people can be interested in it but not actually be practicing it so they actually need to have some input into it and actually act have an active role as part of it and it can be very simple things through to much more complex things but you don't necessarily need to give it a label it just needs to have that cadence and that community spirit and people actually actioning their behaviors 
Do you think a community practice can exist outside of your workplace or do you think it's something that our, our experience is more something that's been just in our own workplace? I think it can definitely work outside it. I think a lot of meetups and those sorts of things are almost a community of practice or a community mm. of interest. I would agree with that. I think communities are really, really big and really, really important. And this group, us, we're a community. You know, we may be on Slack, we're also a podcast, but we're a community in itself. I think communities as a whole are a great way of learning, sharing, exchanging information. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think you're right, meetups definitely were my first venture into communities and building that community from the ground. The intention was, I know Russell's talked about what his meetup did previously with the whole syllabus and, and trying to get people into testing. That kind of aim was my aim from a community perspective of building a practice that gave people the skills to learn more and then want to take that into a workplace. And I think generally the community as a whole could be seen as one big community of practice. You look at what Ministry of Testing are doing and, and Testim and others, their communities are all about empowering more people to learn new things, to build, build new practices and, and better people, which could be argued is what a community of practice is there to try and do, whether it be internally or externally. I think the important thing about the community of practice is it's it's the shared nature of it. So if they if people are involved in meetups and community, other community things like Ministry of Tests, then they need to share that back with the other people. It's a shared knowledge. And if people have uh, don't have that idea of of actually sharing or having input, then it, then the whole idea of the community practice sort of breaks down a little bit because it needs to have that shared thing. So even if you do send someone on on a course or whatever, it's what information can they bring back and then act on it. And it's finding the possibility of using ideas within the workplace. They may not always work successfully, but it's making sure that they the opportunity is there and it's a sort of collective uh, agreement. One thing I'm conscious of seeing in some places I've worked, communities of practice or communities aren't a line manager telling people what to do and how to do things. Mm. That isn't a community of practice. That's a team meeting or a instructional basis. That's it's going to have a different purpose. It's going to be led and it's not going to have the same effect. You're not going to build people empowered. It's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because... A lot of times, especially in the workplace, people will look to a manager to start stuff and communities may well have natural leaders come in and take it. Not people who maybe are explicitly a leader, but maybe people who've got a drive and a desire to, to make a change, bring something in and starting a community practice or, or starting a community can be a huge risk and can be quite a, a drain on on the people that want to do it so if you has anyone got any sort of stories things to sort of say about where they've started one and how they approached it and uh, any sort of successes or failures that we might have had i've started a community of some kind in all three of my last roles including my current role and the more success well to start with the first one i did I tried to bring together all the testing teams and people from the testing teams within the UK-based offices for the cybersecurity company. And I started by reaching out to all the leads to say, look, I'd like to bring us together and talk about different practices and stuff. But 
I was a lead at this point as well. And it did feel like we were driving it from the top. So then I started going out to some of the testers and people in the teams and said, look, I think it'd be really good if we start sharing this. What do you think? And tried to organically get them to be interested by sort of suggesting stuff and then letting them think about it and waiting for them to come back and try to let them be the ones that set the agenda for the meetings and not be all run by me. And I found that because I had this drive to make it work, I was always the first one there. I was always the first one to, to get people interested and in, in coming along to it. I felt like I was doing a lot of the legwork myself. And the only way I broke that was by, to start with, getting some external people in to come and do some talks to interest people a bit more. And then people suddenly got a bit more energised about it. And then they started to wanting to be part of it and, and talk about it a bit more and share some of the stuff they're doing. So in my next two roles, I started by making the first session more of a, let's get a, a really, really good external speaker in. I've got Rob Lambert in, in one of my roles for the first one. And that was, you know, everyone was like, wow, he's such an amazing speaker. We need to learn more about this. We need to do more of this. And it got people energized to want to talk about testing more and about building their careers and, and, and everything. And then the current one, I got Ronald Cummings John in as well uh, to do a talk. And I've had a speaker every month. And the other thing I've done is I've invite, opened it up to wider than just the testers. So having it just the testers, you get a very bunkered down mindset of it's us against the world almost. Whereas if you invite the wider engineering practice across the company, you then get people that are interested in testing that aren't testers or people that are, can advocate for testing and want to learn more about testing. And suddenly you're, you're building that practice organically with people that want to learn more about testing and trying to to help the testing teams further the awareness of testing and it's just it's organically it is growing at the moment i'm getting a lot of more interest now by inviting the wider teams than just sticking to the testers for me when we first started i wasn't actually a, a leader at that particular uh, stage there were two two of us who were sort of in a senior position that we felt we wanted to do this sort of thing and so when we started, we had this sort of unwritten rule as to how the meetings would, would take place. And so basically there wouldn't be an agenda. The, the ideas would come from the wider testing group. We would try and get people off their feet. You know, there would be some activity of making sure that everyone was involved. So everyone had to speak at a certain point. And we haven't, we didn't never told the people in the meetings what that but every time we planned it it was that sort of thing so although we ran it it was always that collaborative type thing and we did bring people in from company as well um, to share ideas but there was always a purpose as to where any idea that was discussed in that particular meeting could be used within within the wider projects that we worked on that's continued on so, and i and actually i've stepped down from that when i became a group lead it was one of the things that I um, asked someone else to do. So they, they've continued with that. Because again, I want that separation of it's, you know, there's a separation from a, a more formal meeting where I'm telling them and then the meetings where it's much more collaborative. Makes sense. So I, I did something, I guess, with a lot of other people I have to add um, when I was with Sage, but it was, it came kind of osmotically. So I had team meetings, which were dysfunctional and I won't lie. And I ended up canning them because it became what I would call moan sessions, not productive, not useful, 
for the sake of it, that sort of thing. So I canned them, but I was looking for an alternative. And my team weren't necessarily engaged in trying to do anything alternatively to that, but another team in another area were the business. So somehow I got talking with um, a John McGee and I kind of volunteered to go along and do a talk on how we did things. And we kind of grew what was a local departmental sort of testing thing to being cross-departmental. Um, a lot of it was led by John. And I kind of got on board with him, trying to help him, trying to push it, promote it, make it more global across the sort of company where we had lots of different people in different offices, promoting people uh, into it, putting speakers forward to it, helping enable it um, rather than just speaking, attending it myself, showing visibility that I cared so that my team would care. We got some buy-in from our senior managers to help us organize a kind of global conference that allowed us to get, I think we had Leo Rathbone actually speak for doing the blue pill, red pill talk, trying to trigger it off. But we got several hundred testers from around the world and our teams to kind of come onto this sort of afternoon of virtual conferences. But it also gave people internally to Sage an opportunity to speak, to talk, to share their knowledge, share their things and their ideas. And I think John's gone on and done a test bash talk now and other things and meetups. But it's it's creating a space that allows people that want to, to do it. And um, it's not about forcing the issue. It's about sharing things that can be quite useful, that may not be useful for everyone all the time. They're optional, but getting those sort of opportunities. It's just about, as a leader, trying to encourage this. And if it can happen organically, amazing, brilliant. Um, I was lucky enough that I jumped on a bandwagon versus having to trigger that to start with. But if you find someone willing, encourage that creativity and help make it happen, I think is what I would say. For me, it, it, was, it was quite it was quite interesting because I didn't really know what I was trying to achieve when I sort of started trying to get our testers to talk to each other. I'd, I'd previously been in big test teams and had horrible test team meetings, much like probably what Russell had. Ones where it was, it was led explicitly by one person and everyone else kind of sat there. In fact, David would have been a couple. I, I just didn't feel like I, I wanted to be there, but I had to be. I did have some some that were good and some good ideas, and that, that was is what got me started on my sort of path towards being able to know who to talk to and where to find things and to sort of engage more with, with this as a career. But when I, when I changed my job, um, and I came in as a senior at one of my old places, we were very siloed as testers in different teams. We weren't sharing knowledge. We weren't sharing passion. We weren't building relationships. We weren't a community, but we were all a minority within our teams. I asked my manager if I could have some time aside every month when we could get together. He said, excellent. So I pitched just a really basic thing. You're right to get together with all the other testers and we'll, we'll see how we go. And, and initially it was very much me facilitating, but the target of everything I was trying to do was to make sure that I wasn't the one doing all the talking. So I was searching for collaborative, interactive things, a different topic with a different style, with a different goal different things to introduce new ideas inviting others to do things and and from those things we came up with ideas and said oh we'd like to try that like I wasn't the first person in my company 
to know that test sphere was a thing but when i was the first one going to an mot event where it was going to be sold i went and bought them because one of my team said oh I'll get some of those test sphere cards and you know and and it was a place that was safe to come forward to to share ideas talk about how things might work and then to try and do them in our own place but also to collaboratively come up with ideas and things that we wanted to do it's why we did mob testing uh, and and lots of cool things came out of them and they were really enjoyable if if i have one regret it was that i would probably say i was still the one running them most of the time whether or not that was because people felt it's easy chris can do it they're all right i, I can just turn up and it's fine <laughs> I, I was saying my meetings were fun um but it, it meant that when I left, they struggled to run those meetings themselves. And and for me, as as a leader, I feel like that's probably a failure on me because maybe I found it too easy to just take things on and do it, run it myself. Um, even though we defined things and ran things how we wanted to as a community, it was still me running them thereafter or yeah during. Yeah, I've, I <clears throat> I had similar as well. I mean, I had comments after I left McAfee where they said, oh, well, those meetings stopped because you were the driving force. You were the passion behind it. We liked being part of it, but no one was willing to take it over. And like you, I felt that was a failure on me as well for not not finding enough people to, to, to pick it up. And that was partly a reason as well why I was will, willing to, a couple of years ago, to stop the MOT Bucks meetup as well until... I managed to find Stu as a co-host to pick it up with me because being that sole person that is responsible for building a community and keeping it running and finding the speakers, finding the agenda items, finding the topics, it's just, it is draining. And, you know, I, I love building those, those events and I love building the community of practice internally as well and getting the teams to talk to each other. And the amount of times we'd find that two teams were doing their own automation for a very similar problem where they could have shared libraries and shared in shared setups and worked together. And actually that was one of my driving forces in the first place to build the community of practice. And just having that feeling of getting the teams talking and sharing knowledge and working together on something across, across continents, across teams, teams that wouldn't normally have any reason to talk to each other, but getting them to talk to each other from a testing perspective, or oh, you, you, you're using the same framework as we are, or we could be using the same framework. We're both developing it in Python. We've used this library, you've used that library. What can we do to, to work together on this? That was one of my sole focus points to start it in the first place. But in the end, what happened was, although it was successful, we had the meetings, I did still pick up the burden of putting it together, sending the meeting request out, organizing the meetings, I might not say anything in the meeting because it would all be agenda driven and, and they'd have the topics they wanted to talk about. But it was generally something that I felt that I was responsible for. Yeah, I must admit, when I found myself organising my own meetup, I think as I mentioned before, sort of testing folks, and I was doing it by myself, doing all the talks all the time, I struggled. I had to get people in to help do different bits of it. It made it a lot easier, even though... I was still doing a lot of the organizing. It wasn't much less effort, but it was a lot less stress, anxiety, pressure. It's having that person to talk to about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And also means that 
others want to do it. You're not plowing ahead and doing this thing by yourself. Actually, if others are invested and willing to try, actually, maybe what I'm doing is high value. It's worthwhile. And that helps kind of get rid of almost this imposter syndrome or this kind of bias in your head that maybe what actually no one's helping because no one really values what it is you're trying to do. But anyway, that's a different subject for another day. It's all linked there. So do we have any tips for anyone that wants to start a community of practice or community full stop internally or externally? What would we say? Do it. Would be... Oh, yeah. First one. No, it's literally yeah, start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Start start with a smart start small, have a small yeah, idea, absolutely. get some people on board with that that you you can sort of pitch it to prior to the meeting or, or the gathering of you got try and use something like a charter to sort of outline what it is you're trying to do, what purpose it is you've got. Be inclusive and not dominant. If you're meeting in person, bring snacks. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Cake. People honestly, legitimately. The rest of my company, they would they would always look enviously on at us having meetings where not only were we eating snacks, but we were laughing and having fun in meetings. And then we'd walk out still laughing and having fun and donning out the snacks. And then people were so like envious about it. And you're like, we just, we bought our own snacks and we just we're just enjoying our own company whilst doing stuff that's talking about things that we're interested in, enjoying our company and working with each other. Takes a certain personality like Chris's you want to help make it such a fun meeting. I'm not sure I could get the same. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I, you, 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 I was I was challenged at one of our meetings afterwards by someone who wasn't in the meeting, saying, "You seem to be doing a lot of these. Why why are you why are you having so many meetings where there seems to be blatant social activities going on, and you're eating cake and whatever else?" And it's like, we're learning, we're, we're spending time learning from each other. And just just being able to to say that they were like, oh, okay, fair enough. It was it was enough to to, to stifle the attack almost. Well, com- community is about relationships as well, isn't it? Absolutely, it's, it it's it's about common purpose, but it's about relationships. And if you don't get to know each other and enjoy your company, you're not going to work so well, or be motivated to work so well with those people as much. Well, I think I take a phrase from Tristan Lombard: uh, "You can automate your test, but you can't automate relationships." I think that is very true. You need to build those relationships organically. You need to find a way to make it enjoyable, help people learn and help people want to be there. And also allow everyone to have a voice. That's one of the key things is for me is start small, but allow everyone there to be an equal split them into small groups so that, so that you don't have one person dominating the whole meeting the whole time, allow them each particular group to have, a small chat about particular things and then feed it back so therefore you can build small and everyone had feels like they ha- have an input into it that's one of the things i would say i think it's key to have activities such as lean coffees or get a test fear deck and just just use it as a conversation starter between like you say split into tables split the deck into half or how many people you've got the other thing i would say about the voices you're right give everyone a voice but all equally allow people to take their time to find their voice don't expect everyone to step up and talk on the first event give people chance to 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 bed in you may find the first couple of events it's the same two or three people that that do all the talking but as as you grow as you you find other ways to communicate as you build um momentum effectively 
and you find ways to engage people, you will find more voices will come out and you'll find everyone feels more comfortable speaking up, talking about stuff. It may be a test fear session where you suddenly find that someone has a real keen interest in exploratory testing because you're not doing exploratory testing and currently in your workplace, that's not something that's come out before. Suddenly they're really passionate talking about it. And you may find these are the little things that then ignite somebody and you you give them the encouragement in the community to go, well, come and talk about that. Come and, come and tell us what you love about exploratory testing or let's share your understanding. And it just, it just helps build those relationships, build that confidence as a, as a group and give people to talk about things that they wouldn't usually find opportunities to talk about. One thing you talked about earlier, Simon, which I think is actually quite often quite a good idea, especially in, depends on your company, but it's getting external people in. It's getting somebody in. Now, I can't speak for every speaker out there in this world, but I found the testing community very, very good at flexing their time, being helpful. Speak of mine, I'll speak of yours, or, I'll, you know, okay, yeah, you don't speak yet, but you no, know, if you have something useful, come do it. And the managers I felt was like, well, how much budget do you want in order to get speakers in? Like, well, I've asked a few people and they wouldn't do it for free. <laughs> And yeah, not saying everyone is, cakes. <laughs> yeah, but people are happy to share, to help learn, to give experience, yeah. to share knowledge. And I certainly know the testing community is good. Not everyone is. And if you go and reach out to somebody now and ask them to come and speak at your event, I can't guarantee they'll do it for free. But if you try and ask, quite a lot will. You're right. I did, um, like you did, you, you did your global conference. I did an co internal conference as well where the 50 plus internal testers came along to a an afternoon of external speakers and i had lee rathbone opening for me as well so he did his uh, mobile phone and his dead talk so that's two links from lee in the, in the show notes three three this is okay, blog post as well hi lee fair play <laughs> but i had nikki sedgwick and christina ahanian and dan ashby as well come and do talks and everyone every one of the 50 plus testers that were there took something different away from the afternoon. I managed to get the catering team to provide afternoon teas as well. So everyone was fed. It was a, you know, I, we didn't pay the speakers, but I offered to return the favor and go and speak anything they wanted to. And it's that kind of relation. There is that very much that feeling in, in majority of the testing community that, you know, you scratch our back, you will scratch yours kind of thing. Yeah. I definitely encourage if you want to get it kickstarted, find an engaging speaker. Uh, we've all said Lee, but there's others as well. <laughs> Please don't bombard Lee after this podcast goes on. Or do. To, to really sort of engage people, uh, find someone that's got a topic that they're passionate about and let them talk about it. Whether it's someone well-known or not, if, they, if they're passionate about it, they'll be able to engage people. New voices are, are can, can be stimulating. Absolutely. But, but, but I guess the, the only other thing I would say on top of all of those golden nuggets is seek feedback yes and act on those things whether that's some people will do will be happy to give feedback in a wider forum or in a more retrospectively type thing but even one-to-one -one, just find out how people are you don't have to be their manager you don't have to be any of these things but just chat to people say how are you finding these these meetings are there things you would change that i had a colleague that i knew when they were not engaged they had one of those faces like david has right now and <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I knew that what I was doing wasn't engaging for them and feedback is important because there's no point in doing the same thing like if your audience aren't interested in particular things maybe don't do those unless it's important for your org 
that you do them. I think it, it it's community practice. It's something that people have to buy into. So it shouldn't be mandatory. People have to want to be there for it to work. Though so those things need to happen. So seek that feedback, inspect, adapt, change. It's almost like building a culture. And I think that's a perfect ending to uh, this episode. So thank you very much for listening and thank you for all your input, Simon, Russell and Chris uh, tonight. Please do get in contact with us in various channels, either by email at contactus at tessandpeers.com or through the normal media channels. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Or you can also help us to maintain our podcast for our patron. Uh, at patreon.com forward slash testing peers finally thank you very much sponsors saffron qa for their continued support and uh, i think that's the end of our episode tonight so we look forward to inviting you back in a couple of weeks time for now it's goodbye from the testing peers goodbye, goodbye.